and welcome everybody to another episode of Smart Money Circle. I'm your host, Adam Sarhan. With me today is Nathan Mercero, CFP. Uh, he's a CEO and president of Planning Alternatives, which is an independent wealth management firm with approximately a billion dollars on assets under management. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. So Nathan, I always like to ask, can you uh, begin by telling us how you got started in the business? Sure. It, uh, after finishing business school in Canada, I decided to come to the U.S. on a social mission, and that was to help homeless people. So I called my father up, said, thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to go into business with you, which he had offered. And I came to uh, Detroit, Michigan instead and worked in the nonprofit sector. After a couple of years of doing that, I went back to my business degree and my upbringing and my love for finance, and I started in the financial services industry, and that was 26 years ago, so I can't believe how quickly time has passed. Yeah, it goes by fast. So how'd you get drawn to financial services? One of the things that really motivates me is helping other people accomplish things that they can't accomplish on their own, so I was drawn to financial planning and started working with a company now called Ameriprise. Back in the day, it was called IDS, Investors right. Diversified Services, and then it was bought by America Express. Uh, spent 10 years there and really learned the essence of financial planning and the importance of having a comprehensive, holistic approach with clients. I was intrigued though by the independent RIA space mm -hmm. and specifically the fiduciary platform of serving the client's best interest at that standard and uh, in 2004 went into the RIA space. So that really has been the place that I value and have experienced the most fulfillment. Nice. And was your father involved with financial services? You said he had a business or was it completely separate? It was a separate business, but I remember early in the days of him teaching me about stock investing, uh, Back then, you'd actually have a newspaper that would list the individual stocks and the prices and the uh, high-low volume numbers, and we would start to examine stocks and talk about how a stock represented a business and principles that the business, him being a business owner, knew were important, and then what to look for in stock selection and stock investing. So it was the, I guess, grassroots training of that experience that became the platform for my interest in money and uh, through other entrepreneurial ventures and uh, always having a sense of appreciation for building business, people who create business, people who create wealth, uh, that all blended together to uh, be the backdrop for uh, who I am and where I'm at today. Nice, no, I love that. So tell us a little about your investment strategy. Well, we really focus on individualized financial planning with our clients. So we say the most important aspect of our investment strategy is pairing that strategy with what the client's goals are. Okay. And we spend a lot of time up front with our clients to define outcomes, objectives, understand their entire financial situation. So then as we build investment portfolios, we're really aligned with how do we help the clients accomplish their goals with this investment strategy. Okay. And then the specifics of how we implement investing strategy is through globally diversified portfolios and looking at risk management, uh, either different levels of risk for 
the client to achieve their goals, or even within uh, sub-asset classes of the portfolio, looking how to offset risk on an ongoing basis. And it's really the combination of the, the plan, the investment strategy, and the ongoing review of both of those points of perspective that, that guide the performance of the portfolio too. Oh, I love that. So you basically, you're an outcome focused, you look at the outcome, the objectives, what the customer ultimately or the, the client ultimately wants, and then you reverse engineer it and figure out a good approach to help them get there. Is that correct? Exactly. And if I had a wish, I, I wish there was a GIPS compliant uh, platform that showed client outcomes being the standard and the, the metric that we could track, uh, because that's ultimately what I believe is the only thing that matters from a client standpoint. And to do that in a risk-based way, risk-aware way, uh, I think is where we bring the value to our clients. I love that. So it's a good segue to my next question. How do you handle risk and what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? Well, when you're client centric, uh, you have to meet the client where they're at and their definition of risk often is what we have to kind of walk through and help them articulate what that means. And you've got the continuum of people that want, uh, high returns with no volatility right. or no, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, it all. no, no volatility period. I mean, it's like these unicorn uh, concepts. Right. So risk management and risk awareness starts with talking to the clients about what they understand uh, A is important to them in their life and then B how money can be the means to that end and will be the means to helping them accomplish a lot, but to do it in a way so that risk is uh, tolerated. And the mistakes that I see people making is when there are extreme conditions. And certainly in 2020, we've experienced extreme conditions in the financial markets right. to have a strategy that really can navigate those conditions yeah. and not deviate at the worst moments. So getting out when things are low or being, um, uh, be projecting the future uh, and saying things are so high, so we've got to change strategy. And our portfolio strategy, we call an all-weather approach. Uh, we love it. We're based in Michigan, so we know the four seasons yep. and how temperatures and situations change based upon these weather patterns. And it's similar to the economy, the financial markets, and people's life stage. There's always going to be change. So our belief is to have a portfolio strategy that can navigate all types of those conditions. And that's based upon a diversified, uh, globally asset allocated strategy. I love that. So how did you, well, a few things. Do you invest individual stocks or are you more of a macro kind of, let's allocate to equities, bonds, commodities, currencies, et cetera? Yeah, in our core portfolio strategy, we focus on various asset classes and using uh, exchange traded funds and in some cases, mutual funds will complement the strategies through sector-specific um, initiatives on separately managed accounts. We don't pick stocks for clients and don't see that as our uh, strongest skill set. So we delegate that to other professionals and we're uh, a manager of managers. So we're always reviewing and researching and uh, purchase lots of independent research to help our team get best ideas that we then synthesize into our portfolio design. 
No, it's a very good way to do it. It's best idea wins, right? Like Dalio talks about. So that's that's fantastic. So what are some timeless mistakes that you see people make with respect to their money and also planning? Because I know you're big on planning. So if you can speak to that a little bit and also lessons, if you want to sprinkle some of those in there as well, we'd appreciate it. Sure. Well, mistakes at the individual level, I think, are rooted in uh, emotions. I believe everyone has um, a money script, the way they see money, the way they view finances, the way, the way they view their life. And it becomes this lens through which they interpret things. So the big mistakes are when this money script kicks in that is usually based in fear mm -hmm. uh, to drive them away from a strategy or drive them to preserve something that they uh, value is important, but so much of that is generated out of an emotional base yes. and past experiences or influences of bad times in their lives. And, you know, when tough times come, all of those things show up on this like movie screen and then people think they need to act. Yeah. So the, the impulse and uh, belief that action is needed is, can at times be very good, but most times is not great when you have a certainly a risk managed long-term strategy in place and disrupting that would be a significant mistake. And I think from a planning standpoint, uh, you know, our clients are really solid on, we talk about their plan and, you know, I know that you, you took a road trip that we were just chatting about before we went live here. And a, a financial plan is like a roadmap where you're checking your, your bearings against a destination and an outcome. Um, whether it's like on your phone, on a GPS unit, or you know some tracker, you're you're checking in to know where you stand. Mm -hmm. And by having those conversations, a lot of mistakes are actually avoided because, in the absence of that perspective, you're going to be subject to the whims of your emotions, the influence of what's going on in the economy, or the messaging of the media that's amplifying certain things in the moment to try to get you to to take action. Right. So that's really the, um, the key habit that I see. And people who don't stick to that habit will typically make mistakes. We all make mistakes. So it's not about perfection, but it's having the habits, the rails laid down on the, uh, on the road to follow uh, and stay within those guidelines to keep you on, on track, both individually as an investor. Uh, for us as a company, we take that philosophy as well. And it's just a life principle that will pay off uh, in time. So I, I love that. And I actually, you know, you're familiar with fundamental analysis, technical analysis. One of the common themes here, many people who guests come on the show, they talk about the importance of the psychology or the emotional side of it. And I have a book coming out soon called Psychological Analysis, which is a third school of thought. And the basic premise is that people have to learn how to make rational, not emotional decisions. We're all functioning based on our emotions, but we think we're making rational decisions, but we're really making emotional ones. And we justify it with uh, with whatever logic that the confirmation bias that we think uh, will support the decision. But I, I love what you just said, because most people are not following a plan. They don't even have a financial plan in mind. They just wing it, so to speak. And I'll, you know, stocks are going up, I'll buy. Stocks are going down, I'll sell. Stocks are going sideways, well, I don't know. Let me see them the headline, or they follow the latest headline du jour, or whatever the case may be. So how do you, I guess my question, next question is when you meet somebody or if you're coming to give advice to somebody, how do you know if they're 
creating a plan or if they have no plan or if they're creating the right plan for them. Because it's easy, like you said earlier, I want to have, you know, hey, Nathan, I just mentioned my name's Adam. I want to have a thousand percent daily returns, zero drawdowns and, you know, triple my money every 30 seconds. Actuality and reality, right? So how do you make sure somebody's in the realm, pick of the Venn diagram of here's being crazy and here's being hundred, you know, how do you get right there and keep them focused on, on the map that you create or help them create the right map for themselves? Well, using your example of Adam, your twin, right? Uh, we wouldn't have a long conversation. <laughs> we, we can't help people that are looking for uh, performance chasing unicorn uh, based outcomes. Okay. So, and there's actually an interesting psychology behind the people who have that need that drives them. Uh, so hopefully in your book, you can help unpack that because that's one of the things that our industry uh, tries to get swayed by. And I think that it's, uh, there's more problems in that space than, uh, than not. So when you look at what people are thinking about and how to move forward in a conversation, it comes back to what's important to you about money, right? Uh, wh what's your why? Why do you want that return? Why do you want that level of, you know, volatility range or lack of volatility range? And really unpacking the why now opens up doors to what the value system of the person is. Okay. Because I believe the, the money management needs to be aligned to the value set and with a strategy that is understood and recognized that there's no one strategy that's, that's evergreen. Right. Um, yeah. There's going to be fits and starts, periods of fits and starts. There's going to be times when things shine and don't shine. But it's really about the efficacy of getting from today to what your ultimate destination is and having a ride along the way that's manageable and palatable. Right. Because when you constantly change strategy along your, uh, your lifetime, you're, you're going to underperform, uh, at least in your life and probably in your portfolio as well, because you're chasing things that have already happened yes. and you're hoping that they repeat for uh, what has yet to happen. And that's a very dangerous, uh, risky proposition, much more risky than people even recognize. That's so crazy. helping people like step back and zoom out, mm -hmm. not be not being so myopic on a certain metric or, you know, uh, targeted outcome from a from a portfolio standpoint and uh, moment by moment, but zooming out to look at things more big picture, and then having a tracking system that they can measure performance, they can measure. Uh, where they stand in relation to their important goals and have an iterative process of how to tweak and manage and optimize the pieces of the portfolio. Uh, that eliminates the need to make any radical overhaul moves every you know, six months or a year. No, that makes perfect sense. So how do you reconcile when the facts change, like what happened in March of 2020, for example, with COVID, with the markets and someone's plan? Do you just say it's a bump in the road or do you adjust accordingly that's the first question. And then the second one is how often do you adjust or check in to make sure that we're still going, following the path? If we wanna go north, we're going north and not going south. I believe that every portfolio strategy needs a layer of insulation, yeah. uh, a buffer, if you will, for sure. contingencies, unknowns. And certainly COVID was uh, a surprise and the market reacted accordingly. For our clients, many clients live off their portfolios and we have a layer of cash that we keep uh, uh, 
targeting about 12 months worth of living expenses so that during COVID and any time of volatility, mm-hmm. they're living off of that, that insulation, that cushion within the portfolio. And does that affect return? Yes, but it helps return of life right. and return of outcome. Right. So when you look at our view of portfolio design is that the volatility management is uh, the most important aspect to having predictability about what your money is going to do as it relates to the outcome uh, from your financial goals, from your lifestyle needs, et cetera. So the thing is, uh, our view is that we, we do some bucketing uh, for clients that need that cash bucket that's mm-hmm. in place as insulation. Uh, for clients that need money in the short term, meaning the next one to two years, we tell them don't invest it into any type of aggressive strategy. It's not a wise financial principle to follow. Right. And for the, the rest of the monies and the clients that have longer term views, the diversified approach is going to be the best horse to ride to navigate all levels of variability in the markets. And it also allows pivoting and rotation where appropriate to lean into different segments of market opportunities as well. So that's, that's our um, platform and what we put on the table with our clients. It's not for everyone and that's okay. Yeah. And we're, we're very much okay with it. Um, I, we want to work with people that value the connectedness of the holistic advice about their life. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for that long-term relationship to help them achieve things that they may not be able to achieve on their own and share collaboratively with them and their, their team of professionals along the way. No, I love that. So you spoke about two really big and important points here. One is volatility and second is diversification. When you speak about volatility, do you look at volatility from a performance uh, portfolio standpoint or do you look at volatility from an asset class standpoint or both? And then how do you define that volatility when it comes time to actually implement changes? Is it a drawdown of 10% or 20% or is it, you know, how do you put all that together? before I go into diversification. Sure, now that's it's a, a great under the hood question about how, how do we look at it? And I, so the answer is both looking at it at the portfolio level, volatility metrics, and then at the asset class level. And it, when, when you're looking at decision-making, typically the decisions of, well, do I get out or make a shift when the volatility is at its extreme usually is not does not lead to the best outcome. Right. But but that's not an absolute statement. And that's the whole challenge of the investing world is that uh, you might think one thing and you've got another you know team or organization that thinks the opposite and will take advantage of that uh, differentiation and thinking. So <clears throat> really it's about other metrics for us, um, benchmark, relative volatility, uh, peer group volatility, how the the asset, or if we're using managed accounts, how the team is performing within their peer groups and just other macro factors that may influence the decision um, so that we don't get drawn off the strategy just by one outlier of volatility. So if you're looking at growth investors and you've got a bunch of growth managers and the ones that you're invested in are underperforming their benchmarks and their peers, that might be a worrisome sign opposed to, hey, this growth is out of favor right now and values in favor, for example. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, So you can't lump all managers or all asset classes into one broad category. 
it's really important to break down the uh, and identify the tranches that your investment uh, focus is so that you're comparing apples to apples uh, as much as possible, which is pretty challenging, quite frankly, when there's such <laughs> skew and, you know, sub asset classes and composite uh, or component units within the asset classes and the, the changes that take place. So that's, it's a lot of, uh, I guess, discipline in that approach overlaid with earthy wisdom and uh, lessons from the school of hard knocks. Got it. So the next question, diversification, how do you handle that? You know, Peter Lynch had the great line of diversification between being properly diversified and then over diversifying and being diversified, if you will. Sure. Now, that's, uh, that's a great point. And what we look at diversification as is the platform to help manage risk and volatility management to get to a financial outcome. So we embrace the importance of it. I'm understanding your question to be, well, how much is enough and where is it too much? Yeah, how do you, like if someone's listening to the show right now, how do they know if they're properly diversified or if they're over diversified or if they're under diversified? You know, just help them understand that concept a little bit. Well, it depends on your approach to how you use asset classes. If you're a single asset class investor, using your example of growth stocks, and that's all you want, uh, the slice of your portfolio uh, that you're looking at, and you say my objective is have is to have growth stocks. There's a, there's plenty of opportunities to diversify within that based upon cap size, cap uh, cash flow. I mean, tons of metrics that would be appropriate. We don't take that view. We believe that the benefit of multi-asset class portfolio construction from large to small caps to growth to value to factor investing versus trend investing to international investing to fixed income, like all of those things we value equally. Okay. So we're gonna put all of those pieces into of, of an investment pie into one whole of a portfolio. Mm -hmm. And that's our belief system that while there may be times when it seems to be over diversified. We're building this for a typically multi-decade uh, approach so that it helps. That to us is insulation against a lot of the unknowns that the market will bring to light. No, that makes perfect sense. So you look for non-correlated assets and then make sure that you're depending on the outcome allocated properly to each asset class. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Well said. Thank you. So. Um, what advice would you give yourself you're in your 20s or 30 years ago or 26 years ago when you started, if you can go back and say, okay, do this, don't do that, or any RIAs that are listening or even clients that are listening, you know, what advice could you give your younger self and, and why, why would that advice be important? Well, on a personal level, I was really influenced by fear and self-imposed fear. So the advice I would give myself is to not let that stop what you're doing, because many times fear is uh, basically all in our head. And <laughs> Me too, by the way, I, I, I can relate 100%. I was like that and I shifted and, and the world changed. I, I fully understand. And, and that's, I guess, how uh, I, I see my evolution is to kind of get away from the grips of that fear. A great acrostic that was presented around that was fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Yes. And it was like, hmm, 
so many things that we convince ourselves are evidence-based, but when they're rooted in fear, they're yeah. fi completely fictional and so much energy and time gets consumed right. around what that fear brings to light. So the advice to me is let fear go because fear does not allow life to be lived. And it is probably the biggest inhibitor to potential and fulfillment. And I would say that's uh, in the industry, if people are thinking about uh, helping clients and making a difference in people's lives, uh, I believe the RIA model is the, in the fiduciary standard is the best approach and best platform to do that under. So uh, I'm biased and I respect my, my peers in all parts of the industry, but uh, for me, that has completely resonated. And I would uh, say, do that as fast as you can. If you're thinking about it, stop thinking and build your action plan and move forward. I love it. So yeah, the other side of the fear and slash pessimism, I, I bucket those together, group them together, is not only do you also miss out on a lot of everything, but there's a huge opportunity cost because you're not looking at the opportunities or the abundance or the good that life has to offer, all those opportunities, because you're too busy looking down in the fear, you're not looking up at all the good. So that's a, um, I personally struggled with that earlier in my life as well, and I shifted over and then that's a great piece of advice. The game changer, really it's huge. it's huge. So, okay, great. And then <clears throat> next question for you, as you built your firm, I'm assuming you started with nothing, no assets under management. Now you have over a billion. Can you talk, speak about that a little bit and how that, that path unfolded? Well, our firm Planning Alternatives was founded in 1982. So it was one of the early adopters of the RIA model, mm -hmm. always uh, a pioneer. Uh, in the industry. So there were two co-founders, uh, Ed Shaw and Bill Vanover, who started the firm. And in 2004, they acquired my small lemonade stand that I had started. Uh, in 2009, they acquired uh, my small lemonade stand that I had started in 2004. So we, um, we grew, we've grown rapidly and we've had other uh, firms join and we've just focused on the fundamentals of caring for clients and helping them at every life stage. Our tagline is wealth advisors for life. Mm -hmm. So that's our paradigm when we talk to clients, like this is not just a, a short-term kick here and we have great longevity with clients and, uh, and a real, even inside our shop, we, we focus, uh, we have a financial planning committee meeting on a regular basis where we talk about what are the financial concepts at life stages that people are aware of. So that when we think about portfolio design or we think about different tactics and strategies around financial planning, how can we pair those or match them to the life stage needs that the clients have? So, uh, and we've also focused a lot on certain uh, client profiles, we call them builder profiles, people that are building, creating, so executives, entrepreneurs, uh, physicians with uh, executive management background uh, and connections in the, uh, in the medical arena. So uh, a lot of people, a lot of families that have that set of characteristics, we, we tune into and we're not all things to all people. So we're really trying to stay in our lane and uh, and learn every day because there's always something to learn and, and let the sense of possibility and abundance lead us, not the sense of uh, looking back or living in fear 
Yeah, I love it. So final question for you, Nathan, is what's the best piece of advice you'd like to share with the audience on and or off Wall Street? Uh, live now. Live your best life now. That is, uh, there's nothing stopping you from having an amazing life. And it starts with uh, today and you can have an amazing day. So the, the discipline and the habits and the focus of building from that mindset will all help you achieve that. And it's not platitude or pie in the sky stuff, it's reality. So we figure out uh, the phrase we use is how do we win the day yeah. and focus on that and take small steps and small steps add up to uh, great progress in a long journey. Yeah, I love it. Love the present moment. <laughs> it's, it's a present. It's a gift. Well, beautiful. Thank you so much, Nathan. This was really enjoyable and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you, Adam.